Father, we humbly bow, but today's a day of rejoicing. We're rejoicing in the good news of the people whose lives have been saved and, and changed. Um, the, the people whose prayers have been answered. Pam's prayers were answered. Ron's prayers has been answered. Uh, Lisa's brother is doing better. I didn't mention that she had sent me the text, Father, and, and you saw it where he had his eyes wide open and freaked the nurse out when she came in. And she's like, you're supposed to be sedated. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And they had to re-sedate him, but he was there and, and, and doing way better than what he thought. So prayers, we, we thank you and give you praise, Father, for answering our prayers and being mindful of us. And Father, today we're going to go way back for a lesson. But this lesson is one that is so powerful in today's society. We need this lesson. We, we really do. And so Father, make us mindful that not only was this an, a lesson at that time, but it's for all time. Your word lives and abides forever. And the same application applies to us in our lives today. And and so, Father, we just thank you and we pray that we will grow, we will be edified by it, and we give you all honor and praise today as we worship you. And that's why we're here. We want to worship you and honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you want to turn to um, the uh, book of Jeremiah in chapter 13, that's where we're going to be at today, but... What a beautiful month of November we've had, isn't it? I mean, this has been great. <laughs> the whole first half, we're almost 80. And now we're, we're still got, a, you know, really good weather for what we've got. I've been deer hunting in snow before at this time of year. So it's, <laughs> the Lord has really blessed us so far with that. And uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah today. And, and, you know, the church preachers the body of Christ worldwide, we've kind of forgotten not only the Old Testament, but the old prophets and their old messages. And especially, I, I don't hear much of Jeremiah anymore. You know, usually Isaiah is who you really hear about when you go to the old prophets. And then maybe Ezekiel's next, and Daniel may be the top one. But Jeremiah's kind of like in the mix. He's little more known than like the Habakkuk's and the Obadiah's and the Micah's and the Malachi's but he's kind of in the middle of there but man Jeremiah had some great stuff and I better move this puppy before I trip I had to we had a funeral here and and for Mr. Zoller and we had to I had to move the podium back and I just didn't get up here to redo that but but Jeremiah's message God put him through so much he was called the weeping prophet and he was asked not to ever marry he, he, was, he went through many trials and heartaches. They were continually telling him to shut up. <laughs> we don't want to hear your message. Just keep quiet and shut up. But you know, he was born about 650 B.C. and died around 570 B.C. So he, he was about 80 years worth of God's servant. And I say, I would say 81 years of God's servant. Because in the first chapter, God tells him, he said, when the word of the Lord came to me, he said, before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I'd already sanctified you unto my work, and I ordained you to be a prophet for me. So that means God knows us before we're ever conceived. He knows us during our conception. 
He forms us during that, so it's important to bring every baby out. And he says the sanctity of life is viewed by God here. And I'd already sanctified you, set you apart to be my prophet. And then he started giving them the message. The prophet gave the message of you need to come back to God or bad things will happen. But the option of free will is always there. And most of the time, the plans of God get put aside for my plans as I go through life. Usually... Things come up, life happens, and my plans become more important than God's plans, and they kind of slide to the rear. My fleshly nature wants to take over instead of the spiritual nature of the new man that I am. So Jeremiah is getting ready to, to give them a message, um, and it's going to be a very illustrative message. So let's read together the if you're there with me in Jeremiah 13, let's read together the first 11 verses. And that's, that's the main thrust of our entire text today. But Jeremiah 13 begins like this. Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle and put it upon thy loins. Put it not in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord and I put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take that girdle that thou hast got, which is upon your loins, and arise, and go down to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in a rock. So I went, and I hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord had commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go back to the Euphrates, Take that girdle from there, which I had commanded you to hide. So I went to the Euphrates, and I digged, and I took the girdle from the place where I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred, and it was profitable for nothing. And then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah, and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, which refuses to hear my word, and they walk in their own imaginations of their heart, they walk after gods, other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is now good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and of Judah. But thus saith the Lord, that they might be unto me a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for my glory, but they would not hear. Oh, are you ready? You can read it one way, you can read it many ways, but there's a deep message that's going all the way through this. And you know, a lot of preachers, they'll, they'll spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of resources to find illustrative sermons. Well, I think this is probably one of the most illustrative sermons that you can get. And I think Jeremiah would say, really? You want an illustrative sermon? Be careful of what you ask for, you just might get it. Because look at what all he had to do. Look at, look at Jeremiah here. Be careful what you wish for. He's, God's own people and us as the church is depicted here 
in this parable of Jeremiah as the relationship between a man and a woman, the husband and the wife. The church is the bride of Christ. Israel and Judah was God's bride, his own, that he had taken to him. So this whole parable is filled with intimate language to go along with the other. And another way that it could be taken in a different route is as a girdle of the priestly garments. But this is really in a feminine, so it's, it's, it's like a lady's garment. And I asked my wife, I said, I need, I need something for my illustration. Do you got a girdle? She looked at me all crazy like. Wait a minute, how many, I, I, I don't like to embarrass and I don't like to usually ask, but I'm just going to ask this time for a show of hands. How many of you wear, have worn a girdle ever? Yeah, ever. Well, that's good. How many of you still have a girdle? Yeah, I almost called a couple of you to see so I could bring it in for the illustration, but I didn't. I've got another surprise for you here in a minute. But, but Jeremiah was told to go get a girdle. God said, go. You know, here, here it starts out, thus said the Lord unto me. So first of all, I want you to know that you're special. That the Lord says, I have put my treasure into earthen vessels in 1 Corinthians. You and I are earthen vessels of the Lord. And we have the greatest treasure that there is, his word. The word of God can be within us. And when we share it, in earthen vessels is the greatest treasure in the world. Because you have the ability through the word of God to share and they become saved and a child of God and a soul is one and there's nothing more precious. So treasures are within you by the words that you speak and the life that you live. You are a treasure in an earthen vessel unto the Lord. And then this girdle, he says, the word of God came to me, but the thing he says, I want you to go and I want you to buy this girdle, get a girdle, and I want you to put it on, but don't put it in water. So let's take this one at a time. Thus saith the Lord. He came to me and said, get thee a linen girdle. That's a special one now. And that's why we're going the way we're going with it. Because with this, this is a special linen girdle. Put it on thy loins and put it not in water. So girdles are designed to provide the wearer with many things. One of them's symmetry. It's supposed to tuck some things in and stick some things out and make that little hourglass shape and stuff. So it's very snug. I've never worn one, but what I heard that it gets really tight and snug and cinched up, right? So you've got this thing, it's snug, it pulls everything tight, and it pronounces the curves on the body. As males, we wear more of a belt, and we like to, Tim the tool man, put our tools on the belt, or some of those kind of things, you know. So we, we wear a belt, but the, the ladies had a girdle. And this special girdle, when it says the linen girdle, that's where we get the key, because the linen, the word for that is a special type of linen and flax that comes from Egypt. And even today, those who know about uh, fabrics and like sheets and blankets and, and things where is the finest of those come from Egypt Egyptian linen 
is still the best. This is a special garment, a special girdle that he's told to get. And then it says, go, Jeremiah, and get thee. The word forget there means to purchase it. You're not going to trade for it. You're not going to ask to borrow it like I was going to do. You go and purchase it. You're going to buy it. And it's going to be yours. That's the whole meaning. The girdle will be your possession that you had to pay for. And then put it on, but don't put it in, put it on thy loins, but don't put it in water. Now the picture here, he's going to buy this special garment. And it is a lady's girdle type, fancy Egyptian cloth. Now I want you to just picture in your mind this rugged, this rugged prophet of a man, God's man, goes into Jerusalem when the word of the Lord came to me and said, go buy a linen girdle. And he goes in and says, I need to buy this linen girdle. And they said, you, you got to go over to so-and-so. She's the only one that makes those special things. And he goes over to her and says, Miss, I need to get a linen girdle. And she said, oh, Jeremiah, who's it for? You got a lady friend? And he's like, no, it's for me. I'm going to wear it. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the jaw did on that woman? Can you picture in your mind? I bet she was trying to picture in her mind Jeremiah wearing that girl. So she says, no, it's for me. And she, okay, so she has to fit him with the girdle that he's going to be able to get in. And so he's going to put it on. Nothing but the girdle. He's probably going to be walking around town because God is trying to get a message over to the people. So God's got this man... Remember how it said a minute ago how that you you got to humble yourself and to become all things to all people so that I might save some? That's Jeremiah right here because I'm sure he doesn't want to wear this girdle. So he's got the girdle on and he's out in public and he's walking around with it. And then God gives him another special command with that. Don't put it in water. Hmm. You say, what's that mean? You're thinking just washing, right? Well, let me tell you something. The word for put, it's used here twice, our same word put translated. Put it on your loins, but don't put it into water. Put it on your loins and put it on water is two different words with two different meanings. Put it on your loins is the normal word for put something someplace. That's soon. But don't put it in water is a special word called bow. And bow is a word that's usually for Coming in, going out, going in and out. But it's used in the terms of the relationships between a man and a woman and intercourse just like in. And it goes all the way back to that word being used in Genesis chapter 6. When the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were, were beautiful. And so they went in unto them. And they bore children to them. That's the word. When they went in unto them. That is bow. And so what you have here. Is a really a sexually charged word. Being used with this girdle. That's around your intimate parts of the male anatomy. And it's like what in the world is going on. He's wanting to send a message. To the Jewish people. And they know their Bible. 
These people are trained from childhood up. By the time they're 10, 11 years old, they can quote from memory the first five books of the Bible. They know their scriptures. And they know their inheritance if you're from the tribe of Reuben. Because what happened in Genesis 49, Jacob, also known as Israel, is ready to pass on in his life. And he has called the family together to give his blessing. And his firstborn is Reuben. And does anybody remember what happened to Reuben and what he did? He got mad at his dad one time. And it says in Genesis chapter 35 that he went in unto his father's concubine Bilhah. And tried to make a spectacle. And he, by doing that, defiled the father's bed. And so... When they're all gathered together some years later and he's getting ready to pass on, the firstborn should get the blessing. But you know what Jacob does whenever he reaches out to give him the blessing? Look up there. Reuben, my firstborn, you were supposed to be the beginning of my might and my strength and the excellency of my dignity and my power. And he's thinking, oh yeah, lay it on me, Dad. This is the blessing. Lay it on me. And he goes... But you are as unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel because thou went up into thy father's bed, my bed, and you defiled it all the way up into my couch. Unstable as water. That's, that's the term that's being used here. Put it not in water. Why? It represents unfaithfulness spiritual unfaithfulness god is using the demonstration of the firstborn with reuben as a demonstration to his people that is supposed to be his bride that's supposed to be faithful unto god and you are going out after every other god and after every other purpose of your own heart and you're walking and you're worshiping and you're respecting them and you're giving me nothing and you're as unstable as water as Reuben has. That's what the Lord God is saying right here in this parable. And so he says, I want you to put that girdle on. It's going to go around your loins. And it's going to represent that intimacy that I'm supposed to have with my people. But they, like Reuben, and they'll get the picture, are as unstable in water. And this is not to go into water. So now you've got Jeremiah First, he's a laughingstock, and he's walking around with this girdle. And as of yet, he nor anyone else knows what the whole purpose of this is, but he's out there walking. And then when you're walking and you're living and you're sitting and you're in the dusty roads, what happens? It starts to get a little dirty, doesn't it? The girdle starts to get dirty, just like us as living in this world. We are not of the world but we're in the world, aren't we? I mean, we got to live here. And we're in the world, but we're supposed to try to not be of the world. But because we're rubbing shoulders with the world and because everything that's on our TV or on our radio or in the office building that everybody talks about, we, the world rubs shoulders with us and sometimes little stains come upon the girdle. If you... If you wash the girdle, the Lord God says, I know you're living in the world. I know you're trying not to be of the world. But when you are, when stains come, 
I've provided a way for you to be in the light and to be cleansed. You can walk in the light as I am in the light. And the blood of Jesus does what? Continually washes, continually cleanses you from your sins. If you confess your faults unto me, I am faithful and just to forgive you of the sins and to what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If Israel, if Judah would repent and just confess, I am faithful and just. But when you don't repent, when you don't just confess, when you don't cleanse yourself from being amongst the world and when things rub off a little bit, if you continually ignore that and let it go, what happens? It does. It gets dirtier, doesn't it? And worse and dirtier. Now, if, if you take that girdle and you would wash it each time it got dirty, like, I know, like me, if you take a bath every Saturday once a week, you're good. But if you wait two months, what happens? Yeah, a lot more dirt comes off. But in fabrics and in something like that girdle that's supposed to fit snug pretty soon, if it's never washed and kind of going back to where it's supposed to be, it gets used to where it is. And it's harder to get it to come back to where it's supposed to be. And that's why we need to do those things and confessing those faults and walking in the light and being continually cleansed because when we're not and we're out of the light and we're not continually worried about giving those things to the Father and asking for forgiveness pretty soon, we're farther from the light, farther from the cleansing. Farther from the light, farther from the cleansing, and we're getting stretched out. And the girdle will lose the shape of trying to stretch back in and hold it in in that tight relationship. And so this is what's happening. Now he's walking everywhere and this girdle is dirty. It's filthy. He's had it on for a long time. And then we get down to, uh, I think it's verse 3 or 4. I'm, I got way ahead of myself. Oh, it was a perfect fit too at first. And in the beginning, that's, I'm glad I had that in bold. When, when God chose him and he chooses us, we're a perfect fit. We're his bride. And it's all white and it's all clean and pure. And, but you stay that way as we've just talked. But now it's went all the way to the other end of the thing. And so now the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah again. And he says, now I want you to take that girdle. And he makes a point again that you bought, that you have bought him. This is something you've bought and paid for, and we're going somewhere with that too. I'm trying to keep that in your mind. Which is upon your loins. Arise. Why? Because why is bought and important? We're going to find out at the end that we've been bought with a price, haven't we? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the whole symbolism behind this too. You were bought with a price. He said, go and buy this garment, it means something to you because you own it. It is yours and you bought it. But now, you've had it on all this time. People's been talking about it. They realize that you had it on and it's all now dirty. I want you to go down to the Euphrates River and I want you to bury it in a hole of a rock. And if, now, Isaiah, after the first time the word of the Lord comes, or I mean Jeremiah, when the word of the Lord comes the first time, it tells you to wear the girdle. When the word of the Lord comes a second time, 
and says, hey, Jeremiah, he's probably thinking, <laughs> you ain't talking to me again. <laughs> I don't want no more of this illustrated sermon stuff. He says, no, I want you to go to the Euphrates with that garment still on and go there. Now, I want you to know something. Google how far it is from Jerusalem to the Euphrates. 300 miles. No cars. He's got to hoof it. He's got to walk. So this is going to be a 600-mile round trip. He's got to... Lord, why can't I just go to the Jordan right here? That's just, you know, a few little miles away. I can walk right here and bury the garment by a river. Why do I got to go there? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of introduced the idea that rivers are important. And, you know, like Psalm 1 says that we're supposed to be like a tree planted by the river of water. The river of water is the blessings. It's the flow of God. It's the word of God. It's the spirit of God. It's what propels you to growth and keeps your leaves green and your fruit is boring at season. We're supposed to be by the Jordan. But they came from Egypt. And what, what river is associated with Egypt? Nile. Abraham crossed over. See, the people crossed over from the Nile to go to the Jordan. Abraham was across the river Euphrates in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and he had to cross the river to go to Jerusalem, to go to the Jordan. The Jordan is the place of blessing for the people of God. Egypt and the Euphrates are the two places of our background that tries to call us back to them. Egypt represents the flesh, and Euphrates represents the spiritual side. That's where the spiritual wickedness was. Egypt had that, but it was also the flesh pots and the flesh that was there. So we are supposed to be walking the path by the Jordan and not by the Euphrates or the Nile. Why do you go and bury it by the Euphrates? Because the people have spiritually went away from God. So you're not going to bury it where God's river is. You're going to bury it where the river of the spiritual decadence was and all of the different things that goes on in that realm. So he's got to walk now 300 miles and wear that girdle for 300 miles through all of that. And he goes over there and he digs and he hides it. And he comes walking back to Jerusalem. He's got some different clothes on and people's beginning to notice. He changed and, and all of a sudden it says the word of the Lord came to me again. And Lord, I'm about, never mind, Lord, what do you want your servant to do? If you look at that, it says every time the word of the Lord came to me and said... The next verse says, and I did it. That should be our attitude. What would we have done if the word of the Lord came and said, you're going to walk all the way over to Euphrates? I'd have probably went, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no one saw that. I'm good. You know, we don't always like what the word of the Lord tells us to do, does it? It just, it doesn't always say, well, I love Jeremiah, because every time the word of the Lord told him something to do, even when it didn't make sense, he wasn't understanding what was happening. It was very troublesome, bothersome, humiliating. He said, and I did it. That should be me. Boy, I need to, I need to try to take a, a lesson from Jeremiah.
So I went and I hid it by the Euphrates. I buried it in the rocky shoreline there next to that river. And he came and he walked all the way back. And I know he dug a hole because verse 7 is going to tell us he had to dig it back up. So that hole in the rock was the hole that he dug in the rocky soil and buried that and covered it up and came back. And so now after he's come back, after came to pass after many days, and people try to say, oh, it was probably 70 days to represent the 70 years that they're going to be in captivity. I don't read that. It just says many days. I don't know how long it was, but after he got back and the blisters was healing off of the feet, from walking 600 miles, the word of the Lord came to him again and said, I want you to go back to the Euphrates and get the girdle that I told you to hide there. Lord, can you make up your mind? <laughs> really? I had it here in the first place. No, there's a purpose. When you got troubles going on in your life and you got trials going on in your life, there's a purpose behind the pain. The Lord has a purpose behind it that he's wanting to reveal if we will take the time to obey and look and watch. And it's not going to be for many days that he actually realizes what the purpose is, but he's still obedient. He's still submissive to the will of the Father, and he does it. So now he's going to go walk back 300 miles. And he says, I got back to there and I digged. I bet he didn't dig it, but he digged for the Lord. And he, he dug it up, and he pulls, <laughs> he pulls that thing out. Now imagine, he's worn it all these times and all these hundreds of miles, and then it's been buried for many days, and he pulls it out of that hoe, and what do you think it looks like? At least the Lord doesn't ask him to put it back on this time. Okay, next verse it says, And behold, this is in a dramatic tense, so it means that when he pulled this thing out, it had rotted it, it had stunk it, it's done a lot of things while it was laying in there all these many days. And he pulls it out and it says, Behold, and it's like grabbing our attention. Look, behold, the girdle was marred, and it was not profitable for nothing. This is another clue about that relationship of intimacy that I was talking about because that word there for marred is shakak and if you go back and look at shakak in the original it goes back again to Genesis 6 when the, the the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bore unto them those those it's not it's not children. If you got the King James, it's italicized. It's living creatures because it wasn't really children. It was a cross between the demonic realm and the, the, the thing that was born. So it's called a living thing. It wasn't called a child. It wasn't the word for child. And that's why it's italicized. But for us to understand it and be politically correct, that's how they labeled it. So, but then it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God because he was perfect in his generations, in his lineage from Adam to him for the Christ to come. But it says that all of these that came from those relationships was shakak. It was marred. It was polluted. It was not pure any longer. It was good for nothing. And that's why God destroyed this world. 
This girdle is shakak now because of their unfaithfulness. It is marred. It is not profitable. It is good for nothing. You know, the only other time I know of right offhand that this word good for nothing, this term, this idea is used. The Lord used it in the Sermon on the Mount and in chapter 5 when he starts out with blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. Then it says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus is playing off of this symbolism of what we're supposed to be in our attitudes, our beautiful attitudes unto God. And what keeps us as salt is portraying those things in our life. But what Jesus says is, but if you fail to do those things, then the salt loses its savor and is what? Same term. Yes, same term. So it, the same thing is when you're not faithful in those ways and being the salt, being the faithfulness unto God, it becomes good for nothing but to be cast out under the foot of men. The same term is used here for what's happened to this. It's become good for nothing because it's not followed into my word and my ways. It's not profitable for anything. And so now, he said, why? Because they have refused to hear my words. They forsake me and they walk in the imaginations of their hearts. Everything starts right here in your mind. Everything about who you are, as a man thinketh, so he is. It starts in the imagination. That's why we're told to think on those things which are pure and holy and just. Don't let the filth of this world come in to that brain because what goes in is what stays in and what comes out. It's not what goes into the man, but what comes out. So don't let the the bad stuff in so that the bad stuff doesn't come out. And so you don't want to lose your savor in the world. They have forsaken me and they followed all of the imaginations of their hearts and they have served them and worshiped them. Oh, how in times past, my entertainment, my hobbies, my, my priorities of life took me more in that direction than in the direction that I was supposed to be of walking after my God instead of walking after the imaginations and desires of my heart. And so then, verse 11, he gives to Jeremiah the meaning of this parable, this whole situation of 1,200 miles round trips, of wearing it in front of the people, of letting it become soiled and not going into the water. And he said, as the girdle cleaveth, to the loins of a man. So I had cause to have cleave unto me the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and I would add the church of my Lord. And saith the Lord, you see the bridal reference there? I had them to cleave unto me. Where was that word used? Genesis 2. When God brought the woman unto the man, and he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he said, for this cause shall a man cleave unto that. So there is that word. So that's why it's the whole thing is around this intimacy. And as I wanted them to cling, cleave to my loins. And I desired it. 
But you refused. They will not hear. I wanted you to be for my name. You're, you wear the name Christian. You wear my name. I wanted you and your life to be for my glory and my honor. But you chose the imaginations of your heart. And they would not hear. Therefore, back to verse 10. They've become, Jeremiah, like this girdle. There's your whole illustrated sermon that I've given to you with all of this effort. They've become in rocky soil. You remember, there's another thing that Jesus drew from this word that he gave to Jeremiah years ago. You remember the parable of the sower? The first seed goes by the wayside and the birds come down. The second seeds went into what? Rocky soil. And what happens? The sun comes out and because there's so little root, because you're not growing by the river Jordan and your roots going deep and drawing the nourishment from my word and you're prospering and growing and bearing fruit in your season, you're walking on rocky soil and your roots are, are so shallow that when the sun comes out, when the things of this world shine upon you, it withers you and dries you up. And so he says, I want you to bring that back. Now, he said, good for nothing. What happens? What happens in your life when you have something that is totally marred, good for nothing? What do you do with it? Throw it away. You're supposed to discard it, right? <laughs> Exhibit A. Instead of a girdle, I brought lumpy. Yeah, I got lumpy. My family's laughing back here because they know all about Lumpy. I got Lumpy when I was about Deacon's age or a little younger. Lumpy's almost 50 years old. Feel it, it's Lumpy. <laughs> that, my wife tried to throw this thing away. I don't know how many times. She, tried, she bought me a couple pills. It don't fit like Lumpy. I have slept 50 years on this thing. And it does not feel like Lumpy. She washed it, hence the name Lumpy, because that foam inside didn't like the washing machine. See, don't put it in water. <laughs> it, it'd get Lumpy, too. So here's old Lumpy. I've pulled it out of the trash twice, and I told her, don't do that again. Do not throw Lumpy away. You know why? No. No, you ain't going to burn her either. No. You know why you don't throw Lumpy away? Because Lumpy means something to me. It goes all the way back to my childhood. It might be good for nothing, but it's mine. Jeremiah, you go buy the girl so that it's your possession. How would you like it if the Lord just tosses us aside? When we get to be like Lumpy. But he said I want you to bring it back. And I want you to show them that even after all of that I still love them. And I didn't. I allowed you to be buried in the rocky soil of your life. I allowed you to wander away. I allowed you to get soiled by the world. But you're still my possession. And I bought you with a price. And I care about you. And I want you to return to me. And that's the message of the parable of Jeremiah. We've been bought with a price, it says. 
all the way through there in 1 Corinthians, in Acts. Look at these things. And it goes back to this same idea of being faithful unto God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You were bought with the, the blood of Jesus, and you are to glorify me in your body. That's what we're purchased for, to be God's purchased possession, to be his. In First Peter, he tells us, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold that men right now even are still holding in high value and telling you to, to get because things are going to explode. He says, those are still corruptible things. You were purchased with something incorruptible. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased you from your sins. You and I are purchased possessions of God. And like Paul told the elder and the pastors there at Ephesus in Acts 20, I want you to feed them by my river Jordan. That's where the blessings throw us from the food and the water of the word of God that cleanses you and grows you and nourishes you. You feed my church that I bought and purchased with my blood because it was that important to me. And praise God, he doesn't want to toss us away. So as our worship team comes on back and we get ready to close, just like Lumpy meant something to me. And I said, don't throw it away. No matter how, I pulled it out of that proverbial rocky buried soil. God says, I've done the same for you. And I care that much about you. You know, and I cared enough that I gave you a purchase price of my son that's incorruptible so that you don't have to worry about the corruption. If you will stay with me and walk in the light, I will cleanse you from all that. And you know what? He, Jesus said, my love goes so deep. And this is why we need to look around. And those that aren't here, we need to call them. And we need to give them a shout. And just like Ron, now he's back home and stuff. But... Jesus said, you are so important to me and the Father that I, like the shepherd, even though I got 99 sheep that's here, in, I got 100 sheep, and when 99 of them's in the pen and I find that one's gone, what's he do? He goes and he searches until he finds it and he brings it home on his shoulders, the little lamb. Why? He cares for you. He loved you that much, and he is not about to let you go. Father, I get so humbled by your word. And the wretched man that I am, and yet you look upon us and say, yeah, I've seen what happens, but I love you this much anyway. Come on back to me. Father, I pray that each and every soul here will take the parable that you gave to Jeremiah, that they will never think the same way about a girdle or a lumpy pillow again, but they will know that those things show our imperfections, but your perfect love, and how that you refuse to let go, to give up, that you put up with, you allow us to get in positions that is not fun, 
not, ex- not we, it bangs us up, but it's through those things that you want us to open our eyes so that we come back to you, the source of all blessing, and leave Euphrates or leave the Nile and get brought back to the Jordan like Jeremiah went and got that marred girl and brought it back to Jerusalem and said, this is the way you are, won't you come back to God? So, Father, we just pray that every heart here has come back to you. If they need to name you, name you as the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they want to do that and to be baptized into Christ, this is the perfect time. Please, Father, move the hearts to come up and to make that confession of faith and to do that. And for those who have done that, but now we realize the depth and the breadth and the width of the love that you have. May we try continually to walk in the light and not get so far away as we're back to the Euphrates. But Father, we trust that you just dig us up and you bring us back to life because you love us that much and you were, we were purchased and we're yours. And we thank you for that and we praise you In Jesus' name, amen.